Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? You can really feel the presence of the omnipresent God here today, more than you could in the car right here and at your home or any other places where God is always with you. This is the Bible After Hours. Can you hear me? Is, is the thing on? Okay, good. This is the underground church and I am the foul-mouthed preacher. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the common language of the people. That's what we're going to do here today. We're going to speak just like normal people speak. Um, I am the foul-mouthed preacher though, so warning for kids, I'm not going to be afraid to swear on this, although that's not the point. The point isn't to say as many bad words as I can, it's just to speak like a normal person would. Um, the church above wants you to believe that you have to attend their services, speak a certain way, give them your money, and trust their authority to be right with God. You know, they, they, they wouldn't say their authority, they say the Bible's authority, but really what they mean is how they view the Bible, what they say it means, whether it makes sense or not. So that it's actually just their authority that they want you to really get in line with, um, which is the same method that abusers use in relationships. Um, they, they like to keep the people, the abusers like to keep you from leaving their presence basically every day. You know, no one will ever love you. Some, some of the stuff they'll say, you know, they say stuff like, no one's ever going to love you. You're only safe when you're with me. They'll say, you have to, you have to let me act this way or treat you this way because you deserve it or because I need you. Um, you can't spend time with those people because they want to pull you away from me. You know, we're partners, right? So that's what, so what's yours is mine. And it's just all those same excuses that you get in an abusive relationship are the same things the church says, right? They might not say, oh, I need you or this kind of thing. It's like the church needs each other. Same thing. You know, they might not say no one will ever love you, but they'll say something like no one will ever love you the way the church does. We're a family, you know, um, yeah, you know, if you leave the church, you'll fall into this, that, and then this addiction. That's why people who aren't in church do these things. It's just abusive behavior and it's not okay. I've been in abusive relationships before myself. Um, and I've been in toxic church communities. Um, one relationship I was in, they didn't like me talking to other people, you know, whatever, you know, they were jealous of my friends, jealous of whatever, jealous of my time. There was always some kind of emergency that was brought up and it was completely consuming. And, you know, I just thought, you know, she was needy and I should have been there for her. And I just kept trying and trying and trying until eventually <sighs> tragedy struck. It forced the relationship to end. And as the years go by, I look back at it and go, man, I, I was in something abusive and didn't realize it. You know, I thought she needed my love. She needed my help. She was this, she was that. And, and I just felt like I needed to be better. I wasn't doing my part. And, and yeah, yeah, I, I was also at fault sometimes too, but it was an abusive relationship. Um, I grew up in a household where, you know, I got beat, I got hit. You know, I was told if, if you call, you know, you call on us, the government on us or whatever, then you're just going to end up in a worse family. They're going to treat you even worse. So that was kind of the way of keeping me hostage in that abusive relationship with my family. Um, you know, I, I worked for a church before and, you know, was told to just kind of look the other way, do different things as they would lie about the price of things they were selling. Um, they would, you know, claim something twice so that they could get extra tax cuts. And that was another you know, it, it was a business that the church ran and they ran it dishonestly. 
Um, you know, they, they acted like a lot of the things that they were doing were okay because they were giving the money to people in need, but they were also definitely keeping some of the money. So, I, you know, and I, I've been at churches where the pastor was actually taking some of the money and we found out later and some where people weren't paying the pastor correctly and money ends up being a lot of the problems in the church. There's a lot of perversion from pastors and stuff in the church. There's a lot of corruption that I have firsthand seen in the church, in my family, in my relationships. I've seen abuse. I've seen toxic relationships. I've been in them and I've gotten out of them. And when I tell you that a large part of the above ground church, a large part of the evangelical church in America, not all, not all by any means, a lot of it's beautiful, a lot of it's wonderful, a lot of it's great, but a large part of it is just abusers writing off their abuse in the name of God, in the name of love and saying, oh, we're a community, family, whatever, just the same way any other abuser would. And it's kind of terrifying. I'm lucky now. You know, I'm in more healthy relationships with my wife, with my church, and with God. Um, you know, a toxic church can make for toxic relationship to God. I, for a long time, really struggled with my relationship with God because the church was kind of his representative, and it did me pretty shitty, you know? And in my mind, that was God being shitty to me. Even if I wouldn't have expressed it that way, even though I would have told you I knew better than that, that that's people and that's different than God. And I'm not mad at the church. I'm mad at people. You know, yeah. those are the things I would have said, but how I felt was different. Um, and the thing is, like, as much as we want to reason around people's feelings and reason around, a, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't this. You shouldn't that. You should realize that was a one-time incident. Find a healthy church. You, you got to level and just deal with the reality and say, you know, sometimes sometimes yeah yeah a shitty situation can scar you for certain kinds of things trauma can make it hard to go to a certain type of environment for a long time you know i have ptsd that makes it really hard for me to go to hospitals to be around certain types of people you know military things all, all kinds of stuff like like trauma really can change things for you and it's not something to just be brushed aside or just oh it's just the people you don't hate the church no no listen Sometimes it's the church. Sometimes it's the people and the church. Sometimes, hey, you know what? If you're pissed at God, be pissed at God. Just be honest about it. You know, if you read the Bible, that's something that the, the prophets do. And it's something that God doesn't punish people for. He wants you to be honest with them. God is a relational God. So yeah, a shitty church can really taint your relationship with God. A shitty, toxic relationship can taint your next relationships, your future. Um, you know, that's what it is. The, the church I'm at now is a more free church, a loving church, a more accepting church. Um, and it's still like, I, I can't go every week. Sometimes I'm just like, I just don't want to be in a place that reminds me of other places I've been. You know, I'm still a little hesitant with my wife sometimes because I, I remember certain things trigger like some of the toxic relationships I've been in. And I'm just kind of have this mindset from some of my family and different things of, no, no, if you give to me, that means you're actually going to expect something from me or, oh, you don't want me to go out this weekend because you're actually trying to keep me from blah. But in reality, maybe there's just a fun surprise or something we could do together as husband and wife. It's just always things taint me. Um, I've had to discover to find, I have to discover different ways to experience God and to enrich my relationship with God because sometimes I just can't be in church. I just can't. But I found, you know, when I'm out different places in, in nature or to see from the top of skyscrapers, just see the buildings, look up at the stars and just to think about God in those ways, that's when I get closer to him a lot of the time because I just have to be in a different context. 
a lot of the church above. It's mostly against these ideas of deconstruction. They're against ideas of science even. They're against helping foreigners help. They're honestly, they're against the Bible. And it's, it's sad, it's tragic, and it's really hard to deal with. Um, for those of you who are, insert, who are just unsatisfied with the current church model, I want to let you know this underground church, what we're doing here, this church is for you. For those of you who want freedom to vote in ways that help those in need in America, to love your neighbors for real, this church is for you. For those of you who want a church that will empower you, encourage you, to thrive in the freedom Christ offers rather than the rules of the old covenant or rules made up by some denomination, this church is for you. A lot of the churches above, they have that exclusionary attitude that abusers have of, you know, podcasts, that's not a church, or online stuff, that's not church, it's only church if you go to a real building, and it's only church if it believes this and has this Bible, and basically what they're trying to say, it's only church if it's our church, because we need your money, we need you here. And it's just that same toxic behaviors of an abuser trying to keep the abused from leaving the relationship. John Cooper recently declared war against the idea of deconstruction. Um, for those of you who don't know, deconstruction is just kind of taking your faith, questioning it, and trying to figure out why you believe the things you do and whether you need to hold on to any of those beliefs. Doesn't always end in people leaving the faith. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it ends with people leaving the faith and then coming back and having to rebuild their beliefs for themselves instead of what was spoon-fed them from some church from their toxic family or whatever other situations. It's actually a really helpful thing. Um, but John Cooper declares war on deconstruction, on questioning your beliefs. Uh, the, the ex-evangelical movement is a big thing right now, right? Uh, people just need to leave the evangelical church. So a lot of people feel. There's decreasing members and attendance across the nation. About 73% of Americans belong to a house of worship of some type in 1937. Now it's 47% of Americans, according to the Gallup polls. Um, Donald Trump's following, right? Like a lot of them said the name of Christ and church and blah and clearly aren't doing anything biblical or Christian at all. You see the January 6th, the whole march on the Capitol that's been lied about on Fox News and all that other stuff, but it was a terrorist attack of a lot of people who claimed to be Christians in the churches on the surface. Um, these movements against Back Lives Matters, you know, all lives matter. Um, that's not the point. The point is people are being do done wrong and let's care and love for them. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, made a remark about black churches when he said that, you know, real Christian vote is a vote for Republicans. There's a vote against abortion. And he said, you know, I know that black churches think they have a reason, but it's really because they're scarred and they don't really understand the Bible is basically what he was saying, is that black churches aren't good Christians. It's sad. I mentioned John Cooper's war on deconstruction. Here's what he said, talking about deconstruction, which is questioning your beliefs so you can come to it on your own. He says, it is time that we declare war against this deconstruction Christian movement. I don't even like calling it deconstruction Christian. There is nothing Christian about it. It is a false religion. He's saying, whether he's saying it verbatim or not, what he's really saying is questioning your faith is unchristian. It's a false religion. You should never struggle with what you believe. That's just abusive behavior. Don't question our relationship. Don't think about why you were together. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's controlling and it's toxic. And there's no room in real Christianity for statements like that. I love John Cooper. There's a lot that he does that's great. Fully support them, but not in this. I just think he's wrong in this one. I think he fucked up. Look at the story of Job. The story of Job is one man 
struggling with God, who's questioning his faith, all these things. You know, you have all these people who are coming and go, okay, well, th- saying these things that are, that are biblical, you know, you must be suffering because sin in your life. Well, there's precedent in the Bible. That's happened to people, but that's not what's happening here. So we kind of deconstruct that idea. The book of Job goes through other things of like, okay, well, maybe it's someone in your family. Well, there's precedent for that in the Bible. And they deconstruct that idea. It's not that. They go through a lot of the Proverbs, things that were said in Proverbs, and it's like, okay, well, here's some wisdom talk, and none of them really apply. And and the book of Job is just an entire deconstruction of the faith. It's deconstruction of most of the Bible that existed at the time that it was written. The book of Job is the biggest champion for deconstruction. You had a guy who really believed in God, held fast to his faith. He was the atypical church-going Christian. He had a wife, a bunch of kids, nice home, nice job. And the enemy, whoever he may be, you know, there's this whole thing of divine counsel. Was that Satan? Was that just someone in heaven? You know, who knows? It's just a story. It's not real. It is real. Whatever. Point is, there's an accuser. And he says, well, the only reason Job loves you is because you give him all the nice things, God. And God's like, okay, test him. So the accuser starts taking things away. Job's health. You know, he inflicts him with disease. His wife dies. His kids die. His job, his land gets ruined. His house gets destroyed. He curses God. He wants to do away with all of it. He he gets angry. He questions God. He questions his beliefs. He deconstructs all these other things that we mentioned with the Proverbs and these other doctrines that was good understanding of their faith at the time. He trashes a lot of it, deconstructs everything. And at the end, what a lot of people miss is God doesn't say, see, Job, you were wrong. Because everybody thinks that's what happens. Because God says, where were you when I created the earth and all this? But Job comes back at him. He goes, okay, no, no, you're still like, this shouldn't happen. What about this? What about that? And what God actually says in the last chapter is all of your friends were wrong. He calls everybody wrong except for Job. He actually kind of says Job was right. Hear that out. The guy who spent the whole book, the whole 40-some chapters, deconstructing his faith was the one that God said, yeah, that, that guy got it. The other ones were wrong. The ones that were telling him that he shouldn't be deconstructing, that he should figure out what he did wrong, the ones that are accusing him and acting toxic towards him. Those were wrong. The guy deconstructing was not. Then we look at James. So James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, James, the brother of Jesus, writes some pretty interesting stuff. It's actually one of the most practical books of the New Testament. Um, here he writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Kind of seems like it's uh, against wisdom, I mean, against doubting, but also says to question God so that you can get wisdom. Um, Okay, so look again. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fall, you fail the test. But I expect that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. That kind of is what ties these two together. It's question God, ask him things. Don't doubt God, doubt yourself. I think that's the thing that a lot of times, uh, which I, I'm a proponent of struggling with your faith, questioning God, questioning the Bible, really fighting this thing out and being in relationship with God involves asking questions. So, hey, I, I'm, I'm for all that. I don't think the scripture is actually saying don't question your faith. Don't think deeply about things. Um, 
But I do think it's saying, question yourself. I think that's the other thing. That's the thing that we miss. Doubt yourself. Uh, too often, we jump to doubting God, doubting our faith, doubting things that we've already determined. You know, our faith is one of reasoning, of logic, that you came to by clear understanding of the mind, is what the Bible says. You didn't come to it by emotional whims, like a lot of the people of the world, kind of things that they love. You know, love is love, and it's just really just emotional whims a lot of the times of what they're talking about. Um, you know, um, let people feel whatever way about this and that and whatever. Like, the whole way of the world is just hedonism, just being tossed here and there. That, I think, is the problem. Not intellectual doubt, but emotional doubt. That's something we should fight against. But you should question yourself. You should doubt yourself. I think that's what the scripture's saying, is to not be deceived by your own whims. C.S. Lewis writes on this. He actually explains it way better than I ever could. C.S. Lewis writes this. Now, faith, in the sense which I am here using the word, is the art of holding on to things that your reason has once accepted, in spite of your changing moods. For moods will change, whatever view your reason takes. I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. Lewis believed that intellectual questioning, intellectual doubting of God, of doubting of your beliefs and thinking through reasoning and constantly reevaluating, deconstructing, reconstructing was a good thing. The problem, he says, the faith, the real virtue of faith is keeping your emotions, keeping your body in check, you know, digestion, <laughs> you know, your sexual whims, all these other things. Those are all things that constantly make you want something else other than what you've reasoned yourself to. And he says, real faith is actually learning to battle that. And that's why he says, even a true atheist requires true faith to hold on to what he reasonably came to. Because there are times, if you're trying to be a good atheist, where Christianity just seems nice because of your emotions. It seems nice to believe in something higher than yourself, right? Like, that's just a good emotional thing. There's times as a Christian where things come and you just want to be pissed at God and he must not be real because fuck this shit. But real faith comes to what did I reasonably come to and holding to that when your emotions and the brain, your brain chemistry and all those things going on in your little head make it hard to believe what you've come to believe by reason. That's where faith comes in. God wants us to be intelligent, to think through our faith and to hold on to what we learn by our reasoning and our observations of him through our experience, through reasoning, through the Bible, and through tradition. And yeah, I'm just quoting the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, but that's fine. I am mostly Methodist. Um, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Go a little bit deeper into this. Um, Paul's writing kind of about, to the Ephesians, he's writing and he's explaining to them, what does it mean to be the church? We say we're the church, we say we're Christians. What does being the church mean? What does it really look like? And he just kind of lays it out throughout this book. Here he says, I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are no longer 
walk just as the Gentiles walk and the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness in the holiness of truth. Paul's saying, this is what the church is. The church is a group of people who've understood that the ways of the world, the Gentiles, the sinners, whatever you want to call it, say the ways that aren't of Christ are the ways of deceit, of here's this um, just, just, just kind of hedonism of doing the things that make you happy, that make you feel good, doing the emotional things, not just thinking about what reasonably, logically makes sense that can be the betterment of mankind, what makes sense for eternity. And those who are the way of Christ are the ones who have renewed their mind, who are prioritizing reasoning. For so long, the Christian religion was known as the people of the book because Christians were known to be reasonable, to be intelligent. That is what it really meant to be the church. And now it's, we're anti-science, we're anti-reason, we're anti-everything. But that is not what Christianity is. You did not come to the faith like this what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about confusion in the church because, you know, there's a lot of false prophecies. There was a lot of people speaking in tongues and people were coming in who didn't know, you never heard that kind of stuff before. Like, what the hell's going on here? St. Paul states that God is not a God of confusion. He says that there should be order to the church. He, he didn't condemn speaking in tongues, prophecy or anything, but he said there should be order in the church because God is not a God of confusion. God desires clarity and wisdom. So question everything you can. Learn as much as you can. Reasonably doubt those things. Come to your faith in intelligence and reasoning and struggling and questioning and put aside the doubts of your emotional whims. That is what Paul's talking about. That is what God's talking about. That's what the Bible's talking about. So I want you to I want you to to take a piece of paper, whatever, get your phone out, write a list of what you believe about God, what you really believe, the Bible, the church, and what you believe about yourself. I want you to take that list and question yourself on every single thing there. Question why you really believe in this list. And if you don't have an answer for some of these things, get rid of all your presumptions about it. Go do the research. Question that belief until you've come up with the reason why you truly believe the things you believe about yourself, the church, the Bible, and God. Fully do the deconstruction thing. Do it systematically. Write it down and intentionally deconstruct everything. If you have strong answers for all those things, great. You just strengthen your faith a little bit more. But if you don't, maybe you'll find yourself seeing that you were wrong about some things and able to come to better, more reasonable beliefs. It's more in line with what Paul and the early church really meant by Christianity. How you came to the faith is in your reason. You'll be stronger in your faith if you do this. Uh, you know, I, I believe it, some people, of course, when they do deconstruction, do leave the faith. But I think if you do it truly and you really think about these things and, and think about God reasonably, you're going to come back to him stronger. And it might be a wild journey to get there. It might involve leaving and coming back, doing some crazy 
studies that you never thought you would even have to think about. Um, but you'll have more confidence in your beliefs in God and church and what you believe about yourself because you'll have done the work to research and question and really figure out why you believe the things you do, which will give you a stronger, more confident faith. You might go through hell and back if you do it properly, but you'll be more refined. You'll be closer to God than ever before. And I hope that's your real desire. That's my desire, to be closer to God than I was yesterday. I'm constantly questioning things. Everything. You know, I want to know why I believe in gravity, which is actually, it's a whole thing. It's a whole actual thing. I want to know why I believe space. Why do I believe time? Why do I believe God? Why do I believe God is love? Why do I believe this Bible instead of, you know, some of the other religions? I, I constantly question myself so that I can more reasonably stand firm on that which I believe and be closer to God, have a stronger relationship, love and appreciate him more for who he is because I bothered to question it and learn more about him. I don't want you to share this on your public social media accounts or anything like that. But what I do want you to do is share this with one person. The reason I don't want you to share it publicly is because we don't want to offend anybody. That's not why we do this. That's not why I say fuck or any of that stuff. It, it just, I want to talk the language of the common people, right? So don't share it with anybody who might be offended by strong language, but share it with someone that you think might benefit from questioning their faith, that might benefit from deconstruction, might benefit from thinking more deeply about their faith. Share it with just one friend or family member who you think could benefit from hearing this and questioning what they believe. I believe we can make a difference if we all do this. I really, truly do. I believe it's time the church goes back to being the people of the book, the people of reasoning. Let's bring the church. Let's bring reasoning. Let's bring questioning back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.